Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Esau. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the filmmaker. It is the one and only Marco Porcia, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all the other groovy stuff. He's brought out several films, one on the swans, but his current film is about Rima Rima from 1979. And the film is titled What You Could Not Visualise. And it is an absolutely brilliant film, talking about the band and uh, the creative journey and um, what happened during that time and since. Anyway, this is the interview, so after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was kind of Marco's kind of early formative years. Marco, we're waiting. Well, I, um, I discovered Rima Rima, you know, as a teenager, you know, back in the mid-80s. Um, like a lot of people, you know, at the record shop, leafing through through vinyls, and and suddenly hitting on this, you know, stunning uh, image of these um, African um, sort of uh, tribesmen, and uh, it was just such a you know striking cover yes. that uh, you know I immediately was drawn to it, and. Um, and then you know, kind of lo- looking at all the information on the on the on the on the record, I saw it was on 4AD, and I was already a, a big 4AD fan, and you know, saw and kind of and recognized uh, the names of the band members as being you know members of Wolfgang Press, so uh, and Renegade Soundwave. So it was really I had you know I had a inkling that. Oh, this this looks really interesting. I should get this, and and, uh, and that's how you know Rima Rima first came onto my radar as like a sixteen or seventeen year old kid, you know, discovering uh, music uh, at the time. And uh, yeah. it it was you know and it, and because it was the year you know it was nineteen eighty, it, it was it was um, quite a. Um, you know, uh, a record that was already, you know, to me, <laughs> old. And um, yeah, and then took it home and and played it. And it was just unlike anything I've ever heard. And it just because stayed in my collection as one of the most prized uh, possessions, you know, in my whole um, my whole um, vinyl <laughs> yes. archive collection. And uh and yeah, so it, that's so I've known you know Rima Rima since the mid '80s, um, being a huge music fan, and uh, and always kind of has always had a place you know in catalog in my head. And of course, I was and I was a, a really big Wolfgang Press fan, and um, as well as Renegade Soundwave, but I didn't really you know think about them for <laughs> a long time. And then in um, 2014, I I had um, initially, I'm, I'm a, you know, being a filmmaker, I had decided to um, I had contacts with the band Swans, and I had started to to film uh, them when they reactivated in 2010, and I um, I started yeah filming them live. And after a few years, I uh, realized I wanted to tell their story. There was not much on this legendary band from New York who had been around since 1982. And, yeah. um, and so I started, you know, the, the process of trying to do a documentary on Swans, not knowing where it would go. But little by little, I, I started, um, I accumulated a lot of great interviews and you know, found the amazing archive and and um, yeah, was was able to to follow them and document their their story and Michael Jura's personal uh, story over the next few years and and so that basically I finished the film in 2018 
And so it, it's the, the, the Swan documentary was my first uh, feature film, let's say, yeah. uh, my own project uh, that I could call my own. And it did really well, uh, played on festivals all over the world. And uh, um, yeah, and then so as I was finishing it, though, I was already thinking, you know, I'd, I'd like to do another one. And um, and so I was um, just kept thinking of, you know, what what other story could I could I tell of of a band that was really important to me, and you know, and and the one band that I just I kept you know kept coming into my head was Rimarima for some reason. This uh, band only had this one record that I bought, you know, 1986. So. I just found thought that there was a story there, and con- contacted um, uh, the band members, uh, Mark, uh, Gary first, I believe. I th- yeah, and um, you know, as I was um, in, when I was in London uh, in 2019, showing the the Swans documentary in uh, festivals uh, at the Barbican. And I, I, I first met up with Gary and and the band. So that's pretty much when I started thinking really um, a lot about doing the film and proposed it to them. And um, and so yeah, so it was kind of a continuation, finishing the Swans documentary right into Rima Rima. And even even I didn't know, you know, if there was enough there for for film at mm. first it's kind of like a big puzzle so that's um that's how the idea started in my head just this this band that only put out one record and then disappeared was um what i thought was that there were so many bands from in that from that era 1979 1980 81 that um that were part of this massive post-punk, you know, wave uh, that all went on to become, you know, worldwide, world recognized, uh, and bands that we still, everyone knows to this day, like The Cure, Joy Division, Wire, Susie, you know, everyone started, and, and at that time, and then, and then you have a little Rima Rima that just, <laughs> you know, disappeared. And 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 then was forgotten, you know. It was like the band that never was. So it was it was um, a challenge in a way, knowing that there was no live footage of them, you know, just a handful of photos. Whereas I had just come off doing the Swans documentary, where I had literally hundreds of hours of of live, you know, archive videos um from the 80s another hundreds uh, hundreds of hours of live concert footage that i had shot myself and you know i'd done like 50 interviews so this was uh it took it on almost as a challenge to see how can i even tell this story or visualize it in a way and yes but that was yeah yeah I was going to say because actually, when because what I found doing you know, doing a lot of these kind of interviews from bands from the eighties is I think, and sometimes I've kind of got this feeling. It's almost a gut feeling, but it's that sense that when something's kind of happened back somewhere, it then you know has that intensity and a slightly zeitgeist me uh, moment, and then things just often often fall apart kind of kind of disastrously and everyone kind of moves on in their way and they still have that baggage and memory but then often I've seen that after several decades I've almost got it down between I don't know 25 to 35 years there's that passing of time and then suddenly there's a little bit of re-evaluating it kind of critically and culturally and it's not just about nostalgia and sort of you know rose-tinted sunglasses I think there's kind of a, a curiosity and so what I've found and you've probably seen this as well that suddenly there's lots of people writing books from that period 
that no mm. one would have, they wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. And there's been lots of, not lots, but there's been quite a few films. There was the George, um, the wedding present, George Best. There's one on the chills. There was one on yeah. the go-betweens. There was even a little one on the Dolly mixture. Um, and people have started coming out with much more stuff. And then there was the the, the Nightingale's Rob Lloyd film, the um, King yeah. Rock, which had Stuart Lee. And then a little one before that, which I thought was really nice, was the one on Danny Fields, who was that kind of promoter, who was a bit of a, ah. a hustler. And again, he was part of that 60s scene, worked with people like Iggy Pop and the Ramones and had lots of exploits and um but there was not much real raw footage so there was lots of kind of interviews and then they used that technique which you've also used slightly of like those cartoon kind of moments of bands to try and replicate oh, yeah. a moment that happened which was quite sweet so I think it's kind of interesting yeah. that it's 43 years ago that you've you've kind of gone back and found this one little scene it's yeah. almost like a <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, digging down into the earth's core to yeah. something kind of kind of intriguing and, and, and fantastic. And I suppose the story is kind of boggling in the sense they only put out one EP back back then. And yeah. um, But it was on 4ND, <clears throat> which was good. And then there was the kind of the characters that, you know, on one level you think, I vaguely know them and I vaguely... And then you get told, oh, yeah, they went on to that band and that he went on to that band. And yeah. it makes a little bit more sense, but then you hear the music, and it is quite, it's quite like, oh, that's yeah. even more it, interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's um, well, it's great that there's yeah, so many of these um, documentaries are that are sort of you know archiving and preserving these uh, these bands from that long, so long ago, and um, uh, yeah, it, it was it was kind of like like like. Um, like an archaeological sort of yes, dig, right. you know, trying to, uh, for myself too, just trying to uh, explore more. Uh, but also, uh, you know, the impetus also for me wanting to do the the, the doc was when, um, you know, I had the idea in my head already, but, but when 4ED had announced uh, they were putting out the Fond Reflections uh, album, which was in 2019, which was comprised of sort of the other these lost uh, demos and rehearsal tapes that had been found by Mark uh, Cox. Um, you know, then you could hear that oh my god, they, they had other amazing songs. Like this band could have could have made it. Could have been as uh, as you know probably on the same level as other bands like wire magazine and would be remembered today but for one reason or another just they didn't didn't happen for them so so that's um you know a kind of uh when, when with 4d putting that out it, it made me really think even more about about the, telling the story of rima rima yes, and absolutely um, and it was quite uh, yeah, interesting it was so just obviously... And it also Dorothy, Dorothy Max Pryor. She's also done her book on, on the kind of street that she lived, yeah. or the house she lived, 69 Exhibition Road. So it's quite interesting time. So when you started making the film, it, did, did you know that she was writing the book, her book about um, bits and pieces of that? Um, I know. It, that's another uh, coincidence. She, I didn't know, know at the time. I mean, she, she did tell me, like, you know, as I was kind of editing the film and I was getting close to finishing it, that she was also finishing her book. So it, we were, I was thinking, you know, it would be great if we, um, you know, finished it together. You know, one could support the other. And, um, and that's what happened. Yeah, we pretty much, I finished the film uh, at the same time she, the, her book uh, came out. So um, it was a nice little, another little nice thing that, um, that happened and i read the I, yeah i read it all it's really really fascinating you know with rima rima the, the another thing was that there's there's such um there's a lot of connecting tissue to other bands so for example yes. you know ample uh adamant you know with marco Pri going on to to be an adam in the end and you know susie and the banshees and human league uh, you know them playing throbbing gristle and um, Cabaret Voltaire. So it, it, there's a lot of other um, bands that people all know about, but when you, you know, it was 
I guess trying trying to tell the story also of that era, you know, of that post-punk explosion of you know 1979, 1980 through the lens of Rimima, I thought was more could be more interesting than than um, you know the, just going micro, really macro, going really deep, deep in, into it, and then then coming back out. Uh, and and Rimurima is, is kind of also there was a lot of themes I was trying to explore, you know, because Rimurima represents you know thousands of other bands that that never even um, were able to record anything uh, for posterity, you know. Or, or, are not remembered at all forgotten mm. and um so in a way um i think a lot of people may, musicians can relate people who are in bands to their story of Rimarima because kind of you know somehow they survived <laughs> um, yes well that's um, yeah, yeah that is kind of amazing i mean when you sat down and started thinking about the film kind of seriously did you did you sort of write a kind of a storyboard of like how you're going to piece this together or did you start getting material and then starting to sort of put 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 it to place and then sort of you know jig it about a bit I mean it's always a curiosity because because I find the film fascinating especially because I think oh, I wonder how you're going to do this knowing that there's so little footage of the band and even a few photographs but nothing that you would think wow that's amazing you've got so many pictures you can <laughs> just keep kind of zooming in and out and all that kind of malarkey and also I love the fact that the film starts with a character who makes perfume which I've come at not never come across this kind of neurological um condition I suppose the word that um the music that one hears the senses get mixed up and then you kind of con was it you, you kind of you hear music but then it gives you a an idea of some yeah. sort of scent and it's like wow I, I can't remember what it was yeah. called now um yeah yeah it's called synesthesia um yes. uh, and and um you know when I first met Gary as well he, he told me you know there's a there's a guy in Seattle who, who um who does perfumes and he did a a, a perfume on, on Rima Rima uh, I'm based on on the song Rimarima. And as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, I need to go to Seattle and find this guy. And, um, and yeah, it was just one of the pieces of the, and I, 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 I thought that was, uh, you know, really, really interesting. And it was a, more of a contemporary part of the story, you know, that there's someone on the other side of the world that is triggered by this song from 42 years ago and can take uh, the sounds of this song and translate them into a, a scent. He, uh, James Elliott is the perfume maker and he can, um, uh, yeah, he, his brain translates sounds into scents. Mm. And, uh, and so I had been, you know, he was one of the, um, I thought it would make a really interesting addition to the story. And, um, I wasn't able to interview him until after you know the COVID uh, restrictions uh, were eased. So I went last year to Seattle to interview him and film him making the perfume, and and so that was uh, uh, yeah, it was something I had you know want, wanted to do from the very beginning, yes. and um, and the, yeah the. Um, I didn't have a, a storyboard or you know or anything really. I just kind of went at it blank. Like you have like a jigsaw puzzle with hundred pieces, you know, and you're just slowly trying to put it together. But th this time with this film, I the first people I interviewed were uh, the band, were Mark, uh, uh, Gary, uh, and uh, Mick, and um, and Max. And I was able to do that uh, right early on, and you know, just to hear their story, to, to see if there was, uh, you know, also to get, uh, to establish a connection and trust with them. Yeah. And um, so that was really important to do that first. Whereas with Swans, I kind of interviewed uh, Michael Shira and Charbo at the very end. But um, you know, and so I, I once I had them their story. I kind of started building things around the whole the film around them, 
and um and then kind of little by little i, I would just try i would get uh, you know i would just reach out to people who had some connection to the the rima rima story uh like steven malander um who then i you know he he agreed to to do the interview and you know little by little i started getting more and more people and just fleshing out this, all the all the story beats you know another well, one thing i should say this was 2019 when i interviewed the band and then mm -hmm. of course COVID happened so i yes. had to you know pretty much take a break and um kind of put the film away for a while and then I, yeah, I had this desire to to take you know to continue it, and so yeah, last last year I was finally able to um, go back to London and interview um, a lot of other uh, people, and also um, you know I I just started you know discovering other connections and yes. and then uh, I knew Steve Albini you know had done the Rima Rima cover with uh, Big Black and he was another person I wanted to interview it took like two years to get him but finally <laughs> uh, this summer I was able to get him you know so I flew to Chicago uh, I went to LA to interview Frankie Nardiello uh, who had a yes. from my life with the Thrill Pill Cult and and then you know uh, Bruce Pavid from Sub Pop uh, was I found out he was a big Rima Rima fan. There were so many fans band that I didn't that sort of um, realized that I had no idea uh, you know about. You know, I know even um, Thurston Moore it was a big Rima Rima fan, and um, and so I was just trying to get as many people as I could. You know, then I found out that. Jim Thurwell uh, of Fetus, um, he, since I had interviewed him for Swans, I asked him, you know, by any chance, were you, did, did you ever hear of Rima Rima? And he wrote me, oh yeah, I actually saw them live uh, at the screen on the green, you know, in 1979. And my jaw dropped and uh, I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to New York. <laughs> and so, um, I, yes. you know, I got him, you know, and his, his story. So I didn't, it wasn't until you know I had all these people in place, uh, sort of around June, that um, I I kind of could see the film uh, taking a really good shape. You know, before that, uh, without these people, it probably wouldn't have been as 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 um, I don't know if if I if it would even been been finished like like that. And mm. so everything kind of came together um, at the end and. Also visually, I've you know I contacted some people to help me. Uh, you know, I was always trying to think about how to visualize the film, <laughs> and um, hence the title. You know, what you could not visualize. I, I thought it was really a appropriate lyric that yes. came back to <laughs> be really work really nice for the film, and um, the, the lyric from um, Rima Rima. So yeah, and yeah, it was, was a big was a... puzzle, you know, and and then in the end, it's kind of like putting the last pieces, and then you've got this nice picture. <laughs> Absolutely, and the the other nice little thing that you managed to capture and get, you got John Rob. He's always good for an interview. But the other thing that um, I thought was really lovely was the John Peel show that has him introducing Rima Rima. Did you how did you find that little clip of Mister Peel? Mr. Ravencroft. Um, oh yeah, so, yeah. That was um, again just like just doing research um, online. I was trying to figure out how to, you know. I thought there must be some some archive of um, of John Bill shows, and that that was really kind of fun to to try and and find that. I, I ended up finding some uh, site that had uh, stored loads and loads of, of his shows from from back then and you know i was i was able to kind of see the playlist and and then find you know because people kept talking about how john peel would play the the the, the rima rima ep a lot and really liked it so it was again that was another piece that that came kind of late and and i realized that 
um, it was it was like another archaeological discovery, you know, just hearing, find, finding these files and then going through them and and he, hearing him, you know, uh, introduce uh, Rima Rima was was like a eureka moment, like finding a, a you know mummy or some sort of gold, Egyptian <laughs> gold. Yeah, yes. I mean, it, it was and, it, what I love about these projects and what you've done and the archiving is the fact that little would John Peel think that in 1980, um, doing that show, that somebody 40, 42 mm -hmm. years later were like, right, that's brilliant. Yeah. I've got this thing and now I'm going to put it I in need. a movie and it will be. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and I do think that is, that kind of not melts the mind, but it does think, oh, that is kind of mind blown that something like a radio show, which normally no one cares about, but with John Peel, yeah. it was kind of interesting because I had this um, a love affair with John Peel and I never listened to it live. I'd always put my TDK D90 cassette in, record it, and then have to listen to it a few times because it was just all new music and you couldn't digest it all on one just yeah. live. You know, you need to sort of go, right, I have no idea what that show was I just listened to because it's just bombastic and some of it is horrendous and some of it's quite good but then it was like listening yeah. to it a few times and thinking okay I understand that one a bit better and that song's getting grown on me because normally the charts in yeah. the 80s daytime radio one you know you'd just hear this music all the time so by the 10th time that you'd hear it either in the shop in the yeah. whatever in in the public place you, you kind of got beaten to the point that you would start thinking I quite like Tina Turner or Dire Straits I'm joking, but um, but you yeah. know, you, you became oh yeah, that's it. You become familiar with something to the point where you kind of almost find yourself humming to it, and you think, yeah, I know the lyrics of this song. I've never even owned a copy, but with John Peel, you'd hear this kind of music all for the first time, and it wasn't sort of Steve Wright in the afternoon or love songs by Simon Bates, you know, which was always rather yeah. romantic and beautiful in a weird no, yeah terrible um but yeah so it's yeah, interesting that i just think that thing that john peel did a show in <laughs> 1980 that you managed to discover and put in a film is just beautiful it's one of the most yeah. amazing things of our life yeah. that's why I I, yeah thank I, I was um and and when i was you know find, looking for for john peel audio and you know I, and in, you know I, you see the, the the playlist that he had and you know and it would be you know he would play birthday party followed by you know joy Division and echo and the bunny man and fat gadget and then, and then there's rima rima you know but and if you know if you show the list to anyone you know they can recognize everyone but then you know like rima rima you know that's what i love that they were part of this this whole um post-punk family that that never you know they never their the right recognition in a way yeah and uh and uh oh yeah <laughs> So the interesting thing is, and, and it's quite brilliant, is that A, the members are all alive. Yeehaw, round of applause. That's very good, especially yes. at that time, because with a new lot of New York punk bands I've tried to find, you realise they're dead, so that's a bit unfortunate. But there are some still yeah. alive, which is good. The heroin overdoses and all that kind of junky stuff. Um, <laughs> so you managed to, A, they were good, That's they were alive. Um, so you managed to get them all, apart from the man who, who features big in the end, didn't you, Marco Peroni. So, um, yes, what what is what was it with Marco that didn't want to sort of think, yes, I could have a chat about Rima Rima? Yeah, so right, right, right from the beginning, what I, you know, when I contacted everyone and, and met everyone in the band, um, it was... It was really important for me to, to that you know to, to make a connection and to 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 gain trust of the, of the of the band and you know throughout the whole process everyone you know Gary, Mark and and Max and Mick were really supportive and they they helped me out a lot with finding you know photographs and and. Um, yeah just kind of helping and me posters, along the way that, the, the uh, guy with all the posters as well like, which one was that god i can't remember now but he suddenly unfolds yeah. in you know, pardon which one he has all his the posters uh, of all uh, the sorry, which... 
the posters mm. of all the bands that he has in his archive. I can't remember which member of the band that was, but it was quite a scoop to have somebody. Oh, Mark, uh, Mark Cox. Uh, yes. He, he, you know, he, yeah, he, he, he showed me his collection. He's sort of like the, the archivist of the, of the band and he, he had tons of um, press clipping clippings and uh uh, yeah, gig flyers and, and everything related to their their one, you know brief one year period, and um, but you know when I so when I first uh, was writing <clears throat> to to everyone, I of course wrote Mark <clears throat> Marco as well, and um, I thought for sure you know he'd be in, in, into participating. Also thinking my name is Marco too. I'm Italian, you know. We already have some sort of <laughs> uh, so much connection. <laughs> yeah, and and so uh, unfortunately, though, he was always from the beginning very um, kind of standoffish and sounded like he didn't really want to, you know, do have anything to do with the film. You know, like he had already said everything he had to say about it, and at the beginning, I didn't really know why or. or or, or, or you know what why that was but you know i just kind of kept on going and doing my thing hoping that he maybe he might come around and a couple of other times i would reach out to him and say hey i've done this and this and it'd be great if you know we could we could speak and and i just uh, yeah one day he just basically told me to uh, never come again or get to talk to him again so he just really didn't anything to do with the film and then you know then i i kind of found out more about why is just that he, he was never really uh, in, in into what remarine was doing he never wanted to be have some sort of be in a sort sort of um in the esoteric band that played on only like 20 people you know and um and so uh, it was a bit at first, I, I I thought it was you know it's too bad because he's such a um, a key part you know important and you know well known person, and then you know what do you want to do with Adam and the Ants? One really praises uh, him in the film and and uh, but um, in the end I just I, I I just thought you know you can't get everyone and uh, and I in the end kind of could tell the story without him really i guess he sort of yes. if there was if it was a you know he kind of became the villain <laughs> in a way versus our heroes and um and i and i i became the new marco <laughs> I, I, I usually <laughs> say so, yeah. so i replaced them <laughs> it did yeah it was kind of interesting that that whole dynamic because because I've done, you know, quite a lot of these interviews and sometimes people have said, well, if you'd asked me five years ago, I'd have definitely said no. But now just that little bit more time and I just, people process stuff. I mean, I realise the life of a band is quite, I was always a, just a fan. I never was in a, you know, creative project like a band. But I realised that, you know, mm -hmm. that has that intensity, you know, of like a very short period of time. But it's back then, yeah. especially, it was like there was no day job. It was just like the band you know, we, we, you know, got together, we did the single, we did the touring, we did the album, we did a bit more touring. And then the whole thing kind of blows up and it all goes bad and no one has any money or if someone does, no one else does. And, and it just never ends particularly well. That's a bit of a sweeping statement, but normally there's a, you know, there's a little bit more, you know, people get a bit upset and irritated. And then with age, they kind of, can occasionally look back and listen to what they did and think, actually, that was all right. I quite like it, you know. So I've noticed that it does. It is quite an emotional thing at, at a age which you can only do it at that time because when you get older, you're not going to be going in transit vans, going around the country playing in front of twenty people, yeah. are you? Let's face it. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a, a bit of a shame that Marco Peroni didn't quite appear. I but know. Then, I, I would have liked. I would have liked to, for him to even have told me on camera, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I hated Rima Rima. It was, uh, it was the worst time, you know, and something, anything negative. Uh, but, you know, it was, I tried, but in the end, I just, you know, I gave up on, on him.
I guess so. Yes, when you get the when you get the blunt. But the great thing is, you Mark had the posters and and the flyers. Then you, the, there was also the vault. Let's wait on the vault. But there was also Dorothy, who's got the clothes and the shoes, and that was like, yeah. oh my god! Not only is that again a long period of time. It's like people move houses. We've all moved houses. And there's times when you just think, I'm going to get rid of my box or boxes of NMEs. Actually, I'm going to get rid of some of my vinyl because, frankly, my back and legs, well, my back can't sort of literally pick this up anymore and move for the fourth or fifth time when you're a bit younger and you normally chuck these things. And, and you know, it's only later that you think, oh, I wish I hadn't. That would have been so good. So it yeah. was brilliant that you <laughs> you had that material and especially Dorothy had the famous shoes, which, you know, was, was fantastic. So, but then there was also yeah. the intriguing moment that the vault, What what is the vault with all these kind of recordings and tapes in? Where was this? Oh, that's, um, so, so, that was the 4ED archive uh, vault room. I had uh, special access to. So yeah, 4ED was was uh, as 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 I was editing the film. You know, I'd shown them uh, an early sort of version of the edit, and they they were really really um, uh, uh, they really liked it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so they were also really supportive and. Help me out in, in these ways you know i asked them you know if there was anything any anything that they had in their archives uh, about rima rima and so i was able to see the actual master tapes and uh in, you know <laughs> in the yeah and so so that was really again there's all this flavors uh that i was able to um, to add you know add to visually and um and then, uh, yeah, and, and with Max, uh, you know, her her collection of clothes and and the boots she would wear to play. Uh, again, that all it's great when these things happen. You know, I didn't. You know, you can't really write these things in. You just they just uh, um, happen. When when I went to visit her in Brighton, she uh, she showed me uh, what she had, and we just decided just do a quick show and tell you know everything I was always trying to find the next thing you know next thing and then um yeah so that was really really great because all these things had a bit of flavor you know to the film yes and, um, and i yeah i know it was, it was just so... brilliant so was it mark who had all those other cassettes from live recordings as well that he'd yeah yeah and mark showed he had the uh, you know, I knew the story how he had found all these uh, rehearsal tapes uh, and uh, in a cupboard, and uh, and so I yeah I got him to to film um, to do a little scene with the with the tapes, and then you know I was trying to do the scenes with, with all the band members and got uh, Mick and and uh, Gary together uh, and. Um, you know, in, in the South South Bank, reminiscing about the band and then about Mass, the band, the other band that they formed after Rima Rima. Um, yeah. That's probably one of my favorite scenes, just the two of them sitting, sitting together, you know, just talking about how, how, how much they loved being in the band and how sad, um, especially Gary was when they, they broke up. You know, they were doing something really important and special and you yeah, know like, absolutely. like many yeah did you ever try and engineer yeah. a moment i mean that was brilliant you had those two did you ever try and have a moment with the the kind of the the, the four people that speak in the film just to sort of come together or was, was that just kind of going to be too much of a difficult kind of situation yeah to engineer? That was, I, I did want to try and do that but it was really difficult because Mark uh, sort of lives in Germany now and, you know, it's not in London a lot. And, you know, Max being in Brighton, it was just um, a bit difficult to get them together. I did kind of want to replicate the, the photo of, of them uh, in front of the Royal Albert Hall. Yes. So that, that then and now photo, but, but uh, yeah, it just uh, never, never quite made it. 
Amazing. And then, so, so I mean, the film, I mean, I do think it's just a masterpiece. I just absolutely love it. How and what well, happens you. next kind of with it? How is it going to be hopefully distributed for public consumption? Um, well, right now, I'm, I'm, um, I know, I'm hoping it, it'll, it'll definitely play in festivals, you know, around Europe and North America uh, next year. Uh, the um, people at Dock and Roll Films who showed, who premiered the film at the Dock and Roll Festival in London in November are sort of taking it on and, and um, yeah, placing it in various festivals. So with chance, most likely it'll probably play again in the UK, like in the spring and right. maybe do it like a little tour of, of the uk and uh in the meantime putting together some bonus material scenes for um you know in, in the eventuality and i hope you know maybe a blu-ray version could a physical copy can come out I'm just trying to deal with licenses and for everything you know archive music and it gets to be quite expensive when you have to go um, get, you know, rights for streaming and uh, home and entertainment. Um, festivals is a lot cheaper, so at least you can, you know, start it in festivals and then hope that somebody wants to pick it up and, um, yeah, and distribute it. So that's that's my hope. And so I'm putting uh, some scenes together. One of them, I think you, you, the, I think you would appreciate being in the C eighty six show. I um, I ended up um, connecting David Gedge again of the wedding present. Yeah. And uh, I had done a music video for wedding present back in the early nineties, <laughs> so um, I knew him and I met up with him in Manchester. And again, casually talking when I talk to someone, I just throw in the name Rimarima. He said, "Oh yeah, I, I love Rimarima." <laughs> So even he was a fan and he told me that he actually was one of the kids who 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 heard John Peel play Rimarima. And uh, so I was like, oh, my God, I, I wish I would have uh, known that soon. I could have him in the film. Yes. <laughs> and, I know. God, I guess that's going to happen did quite a, a lot, isn't a, it? Yes. Yeah, there's so I'm... many people that end up, yeah, someone um, you know, like the, the pop. I was going to say someone will probably present you with some fantastic photographs that they took and they went, oh, yeah, I think I've got something under my bed. And it's like, oh, no. That's... Yeah. Anyway, you can be bonus I keep, material. I keep thinking, yeah, I keep thinking maybe somewhere, somewhere some some live footage will turn up somehow. But the I did, I did you know, throw, while I'm editing the film, I did manage to get... Um, get some never before seen photos of their first shows through one of their, their friends who had attended. And um, those are already re re really good. And um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but David, yeah, they, I, 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 I'll put a, I'll, I'll make a, a bonus scene also with David Gedge, which is a really good interview with him. Yes, I would imagine. Yeah, no, it'd be fantastic. And, I'll definitely buy a copy because I just think these things are genius. So with um, oh, and what... another oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Another thing I want to say is, is uh, another supporter early on, uh, which was such a um, uh, honor for me to to have on board was Chris Big, uh, who, who um, as many 4D fans know, is was part of the you know the graphics team uh, along with Von Oliver. Who did all the um, artwork and covers of of the bands of D in the eighties and onward nineties? So uh, he he was really great to meet, and uh, and I was really honored that he created the graphic design and his you know stylized calligraphy for the film, and um, and uh, so those and the posters. So that kind of also added some weight to the Yes, film. absolutely. And the best, yeah, the best part really was just to meet, just to um, meet uh, a lot of these people. And, and I, I, I became friends with the band. I love hanging out with Gary and Mick, uh, Max and Mark every time, 
every time I'm in London, I'll, I'll um, you know, spend time with them, go have uh, some drinks. So yes, well, absolutely. important for me. That, you know, it's nice. But the other person that you, you got who I was impressed with as well was Ivo, because he, he hasn't been about that yeah. much. Was that quite tricky to get Ivo or was he interested because of the kind of reissue that came out a few years ago on reflections huh. yeah i um i was kind of like on a roll of dice let's see if i could get ivo and i think yeah mark cox um, got in touch with him and this was during the pandemic uh, about two years ago so i wrote to him and told him i was doing the film and and yeah, he, he's very gracious, and I asked him if he would do an interview with me. Um, since he lives in New Mexico, it was not easy, you know, for me to fly out there. But I I was able to do a, a phone interview with him, and he w- I almost couldn't believe it, believe it as I was doing it, you know, because he, I'm I know he's kind of um, not in the public eye and doesn't give many interviews, but. But I think because it was Rima Rima and it was sort of um, that period, the very beginning of 4E, you know, it was the first release on 4AD. It just held, I know the band held, holds a special place um, yes. for him. And and yeah, and I think it meant a lot to him to, um, to be able to sort of, you know, to contribute and... Uh, and then I did show him the film uh, before it came out, you know. And I think he, he, I think his reply uh, was like, "Marco, I had, I had to stop watching after 20 minutes because I was in tears." <laughs> and it was so emotional for him to relive that that period of his life that um, it really touched him. So it was, uh, it was. Uh, yeah, he, he really liked it, like really enjoyed the film a lot. And it was great to have his backing as well. Obviously, I, I wanted I wanted him to to approve it. And, you know, I, I wanted the film to have that, have a, a, a standard, you know, that it could be like a 4D release, you know, as it has to had a certain level of quality, just like every 4D release. So that was really important for me. Yes, God, absolutely. This is amazing. Just yeah, I saw you. You know the other films you've made. So, so I mean, this has obviously just come out. So you must feel like you've just run a marathon or or <laughs> Iron Man event. But um, have you got any other kind of projects that you're looking to do in the future? Yeah, yeah. Like my my friend uh, says, I should do a trilogy. So I've I've got I got one more film. I, I, um, and yeah, just you know, after Swans, I had already uh, I had been thinking about Rima Rima. Just you know, as I was finishing Rima Rima, I w- I've been thinking of, of um, you know doing another film and th- th- another band that uh, was uh, I was in love with growing with uh, Virgin Prunes. So oh, yes. I- I'd love to do a-, a documentary on them because. They're um incredible band. They're so kind of unlike anything else that was out there, again, around the same time, a little bit after. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to see if the, if I could get that um, going. Yes. And uh, so th- that that could start, start up the... <laughs> the film cameras again <laughs> i know that's quite amazing <laughs> i guess you because like, is it like a five-year project putting a film like this together yeah it's, I suppose, yeah it's usually like this one was fairly quick you know when i think about how i, I started in 2019 right, it only took yes. three years but, but of course you know the story is much more condensed and smaller than and let's say that the Swans film, which took me like five five years, um, just because yeah. it was just massive, massive amount that almost killed me doing the Swans film. Yeah, so, so I could imagine. I would imagine actually the this other one band, was easier to work on. I would imagine, yeah, it's much easier. But the other band that would be fascinating is Spaceman Three because they're interesting. Ah, uh, yeah, 
I think that, yeah, that could they, kill you as you know, well. So I don't know if you should. Just, <laughs> to me, it's important to like. I need. I, I. There has to be his historical value. You know, like vir- bands, bands from the early '80s. You know, we're talking 40 years ago. If you go, if you go, if again, if you go back another 40 years from 1980, you're like t- uh, 1940. That's World War II. So it's like if you were 1980, you know. Be doing a documentary about something, you know, Glenn from, Miller from the war. Yes, the Andrews. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Glenn Miller musically. Yeah, yeah, I know it so, is. I know I'm kind of aware so, of that thing of like, oh, when we started out, yes, we would have been, you know, 40 years ago, as you said, um, it would have been the start of the yeah. Second World War, and um, things were very different. So it is kind of weird that we're sort of accessing the 80s so much and um but it's intriguing yeah. because we're little i think what i found is that you know there's the stuff that you get into and time moves along and you can't you couldn't access much very quickly and john rob says this in the film is that if you heard something you went wow that's amazing and john peel played it and you scribble it on a bit of paper and then you go brilliant now I've got to try and find a yeah. copy. And then you go to a record shop and they go, no, never heard of it, mate. And you went, mm. then you try and yeah. find someone to order a copy. And it's like, well, well, we'll try and order it and, you know, come back. And, you know, you never know if they're going to yeah. bother or not. And sometimes they do. And and it also costs quite a lot of money. It wasn't that easy. They go, yeah. you know, and sometimes you didn't even have the option of particularly hearing the record as well that much. So sometimes, you know, it was kind of difficult. Yeah. It was like you had to take a punt sometimes and it could be hit and miss. So, yeah, access. So, yes, the point that I was trying to make vaguely is that um, I've I've now discovered things recently in the last few years that I missed the first time because, you know, I was into these bands and this scene and that band. And then suddenly it's oh, like... Yeah you know you're in the late 80s and then other things start happening in life and you can't can't sort of focus so much on all that music yeah. that you might have done when you were 16 to 18 and um yeah and you can't just go oh, yeah just go exactly and listen like, to like yeah so that's sound uh, really yeah yeah like for me I, I i the same thing with me like i just recently covered uh, I, I started listening to uh section 25 who are on uh, factory St. Thomas Joy Division, they're, they're fantastic. Uh, while I was in England, I, I, I you know, I, I got some other um, original uh, twelve inches, and it, that was a band that I hadn't sort of never heard about or heard, uh, you know. And so it's it's um, kind of the same way because you know, music back then, like John said, was so important, it was incredibly important business. He says. Yes, and uh, and. Yeah, it was not like everything. And to me, music is is so important in a way. You know, I'm a filmmaker, but um, I I my dream was to be in a band. You know, I mean, I do have actually, I, I do have a band, and I have played gigs uh, in, and over the last you know ten years, and uh, you know, playing bass. There's there's just nothing that compares to the feeling of being on stage um, playing live um is for the one of the greatest uh you know most um like drug-free experiences like highs you can get yes. and um and uh but being you know I, I think so i i wanted to also you know you know being able to kind of tell stories and and um and my love for music trying to combine passion for music and film together so uh, i think uh, after these two films i <laughs> i i can i think I, I i can see i can i can do it so well, maybe i'll try and do another one. <laughs> oh god yeah do you you know you're on a roll just keep going that's what we say <laughs> It's just yeah. five more years of your life working day and night. But yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Marco, thank you as much. This this time I'll try I'll try and get some money first up front. So first from <laughs> instead of using my own money. <laughs> it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yes, I know. Yeah. So is it the case then that with this you just have to buy your your camera, your stock? Oh, I don't know if they call it stock, do they? Memory chip. And then it, you just do it. Your time is kind of obviously just your time, so you're not going to put a price on it. So is it literally yeah. that, that way of doing it? You just have to put it all together 
on your computer and um, work yeah, away. Yeah, I mean, being a being a an editor, um, my my day job, let's say, um, you know, and you know, I can pretty much I can do everything on my own, do the interviews, uh, being I can film and edit and do, do all the sort of playing guitar, bass, you know, drums, I can, uh, that helps keep, helps keep the cost down. And it's just with my camera and my super camera, which I always take with me because I love uh, shooting Super 8. And, you know, so th those are kind of the expenses that I start out with. And I just go out and do it, you know, you embrace that DIY uh, spirit where if you're going to, you know, by the time you wait for money to come in or apply for a grant, it could take years, you know, so I just want to just go ahead and do it, start it first and, and then try and get money. But it's important for me to just, you know, do it. And yeah, I can kind of at the beginning, of course, I, I can keep cost down because i'm doing everything myself yeah and at the end then you you go into like you know to buy all the archive and music that's when it starts getting expensive and that's when you need help <laughs> and just um, yeah. on that um that creative side with the kind of that those drawings that you use to imitate the band who does who did that kind of artwork oh yeah glad you asked because i wanted to mention her um it's this uh, woman in belgium named ada cornell and uh i found her actually a connection with jen prunes i'd seen her she does like sort of cloth dolls and she had done some for virgin of virgin prunes and actually did one of jordan um and i loved them and i contacted her and there wasn't enough time this was like literally like back in August, September, right at the very end of the film. But but I had, she also did like these paper figurines uh, of, of um, bands, band members. So I, I asked her to do one for, for, the, for me based, you know, of the band based on a photograph of, of them live. And, and so she did that for me. And um, it was like the last minute I was able to, um, yeah, to incorporate her her sort of paper people and film them as if they were sort of playing live. Yeah. That was another way of trying to visualize the band you know, on a live setting. And it turned out really well. So uh, again, I was really glad to have um, connected with her. A, no, it was a nice touch. Just say, what, what was her name again? Um, Ada. Cornell, C O R N E I L L I E. Mm. Um, yeah, I have to look at her. In work, Belgium, actually. and and I mean, I love to do more stuff with her. Uh, I'm not yeah, surprised. Yeah, that was a really kind of nice little touch at the end uh, that I was able to put in into the film. Yes, absolutely. And do you know with the 4AD um, issue that came out three years ago, and has that have they started sort of finding that there's more interest developing in the band now with that? And obviously your book is, um, your film is coming out, hopefully, and Dorothy's book is coming out as well very soon, next year, 2023. Yeah. So have they found that there is a little bit more kind of intrigue and traction for the, the Rima Rima story and records? Yeah, I think so. There's, they have, um, I know they're, they're always kind of, um, they want to keep the catalog alive, you know, the, the, the early 80s, uh, the, the, you know, the original bands from, from the 1980s. They're, they're always, um, and it's great that they're always, kind of, you know, um, yeah, doing new, new things and, up, you know, new reissues and, and uh, keeping them sort of alive. And the, I know with Rima Rima, that uh, the film they really loved uh, the film and we're talking about maybe doing something you know something visual for some of the other bands um that were on 4ad possibly so i'd love to collaborate with them on on, on other video projects whether it's you know short film documentaries and maybe maybe this film yeah could lead to to something else working you know doing something for the other some of the other bands 
um, yes. that were on the original roster. And and then, yeah, you know, I have been talking to them. Maybe there might be a chance of, of them even putting it out um, on 4D, but that's kind of a, a ways away. I'll see <laughs> how that yes. goes. Or and sky, then, and then you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and I'm also when I'm, I'm doing um, some other bonus scenes with. I, I wanted one thing I didn't get a chance to to tell in the film was the bit more flesh out the stories of like, you know how we're, Mark and Mick and Gary, you know the 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 story of Wolf Press and Renegade Soundwave. So I want to try and do some short scenes about, about those other bands, um, which which I love. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yes, no, this is brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. Well, indeed, we're going to edit it there beautifully done. Anyway, a massive thank you to Marco Paulsia for giving me the time for that interview. The film is, uh, as I probably said at the beginning, but I'll tell you again, it is titled What You Could Not Visualise. This is the film about Rima Rima and hopefully will be more available very soon. Anyway, this has been the C86 Show. David Eastall, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C, um, yeah, C86 Show and you'll find, you'll find me somewhere. Also, all these interviews have been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Stream. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>